If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Story time. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at MintMobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. My name is Frank K. And I've always been a skeptic when it comes to anything unexplained. That was until I was taken to a site where a hunter was charged by a creature he claimed to be a seven and a half foot Bigfoot. This experience has left me questioning everything I thought I knew. It all started when my friend, a fellow hunter, 
called me up and insisted that I come with him to the location where he had experienced something terrifying. He said that he had shot a buck, but before he could even approach it, a massive creature emerged from the woods and charged at him. He barely managed to escape, and he wanted me to see the evidence for myself. I agreed to go with him, mostly out of curiosity and the assumption that he must have been exaggerating or mistaken about what he saw. We packed our gear and headed out to the site. As we arrived, I noticed a strange tension in the air, a feeling I couldn't quite put my finger on. My friend led me to the spot where he had shot the buck, and what I saw there left me speechless. The deer was mutilated, its body broken in ways that seemed unnatural and brutal. Nearby, there were broken trees and tracks that didn't resemble any animal I had ever seen. To top it off, the deer carcass was partially covered with sticks, as if someone or something had tried to hide it. My friend, visibly shaken, recounted his experience with the creature. He said it looked like a mix between a man and a dog, with massive, hulking limbs and a snarling, canine-like face. He called it a dogman, a term I had never heard before. I couldn't believe what I was hearing, but the evidence in front of me was hard to ignore. As we investigated the site further, we noticed a pungent, musky smell in the air. It was then that we heard a low growl, echoing through the woods. My friend and I exchanged worried glances, suddenly aware that we were not alone. We decided it was best to leave the area immediately, not wanting to risk another encounter with the dogman. That day changed everything for me. I've spent countless hours researching dogman sightings and encounters since then, trying to understand what we experienced. It was an early Saturday morning, and I found myself at the Malala River campsite, about 20 miles south of Malala, Oregon. I was there with a group of friends from the local TV station, filming a piece on the great outdoors and the beauty of the Pacific Northwest. Little did I know that our tranquil weekend getaway would soon turn into a harrowing experience that none of us would ever forget. We had spent the day hiking, fishing, and enjoying the scenic beauty of the area. As the sun began to set, we gathered around the campfire, sharing stories and laughter late into the night. Eventually, one by one, we retreated to our tents, exhausted from a long day of adventure. I awoke suddenly around 3 or 4 in the morning, disoriented and unsure of what had roused me from my slumber. That's when I heard it, a low, guttural growling sound that seemed to come from just outside my tent. I lay there, frozen in fear, my heart pounding in my chest as I tried to make sense of the noise. Then I heard the screams. I scrambled out of my sleeping bag and rushed outside, only to see that the tent belonging to some of my TV crew friends was being violently shaken by an unseen force. The growling grew louder, and I could hear the terror in my friends' voices as they cried out for help. Gathering my courage, I picked up a nearby flashlight and shone it towards the tent. The shaking stopped abruptly, and I caught a glimpse of a large, dark figure retreating into the shadows of the forest. The growling faded away, leaving an eerie silence in its wake. My friends emerged from their tent, visibly shaken and pale. They told me that they had been awoken by the growling and had felt something powerful and menacing pressing against their tent, as if trying to get inside. We couldn't determine what had attacked them, 
but we knew we needed to leave the campsite immediately. As the first light of dawn broke through the darkness, we hastily packed our belongings and made our way back to civilization. I worked as a ranger in Northern Carolina for well over 20 years. I've had my fair share of weird happenings and some gruesome ones too. I found multiple dead bodies during my time working there. All of the killers were luckily brought to justice by the police. But it's not the killings that got me to quit my job and never come back. It was something a little more unexplainable. Something so weird, in fact, that I sometimes still wonder if it was all just a dream or vision or indeed a real event. I'll tell you exactly what I saw from the beginning. It was the middle of August, and the sun was scorching the ground with its rays. Not many people visited during the day for obvious reasons. I hated when I had to leave my guard hut to make a tour of the park. That would usually include a lot of sweating and feeling like somebody is roasting you in a pan. I was already pretty beat during my first two hours, drinking more than enough water to try and keep hydrated. As it was already time to go out for the third and final tour of the day, because for the next shift another ranger was going to replace me, I went on a walk. About halfway through, I started feeling dizzy and a little lost. I felt weaker and weaker up until I could not stand anymore. I sat under a nearby tree to try and get some rest and regain strength, but the sun and heat were too strong. I began seeing things and just felt a little too real. The tall shadowy figures began emerging from behind trees, walking slowly and aimlessly. I couldn't move or breathe properly, so I just sat there staring back at them. In a minute, there were so many of them, I lost count, and more began emerging straight from the ground. I was confident that I had had a severe sunstroke. They didn't seem to pay any attention to me at first. They just wandered around and let out horrific screams of pain, like somebody being cooked alive. Just then, one of those figures had noticed me, slowly making its way. It was over eight feet tall, so it had to crouch down to get close to me. I was petrified, but I didn't possess the strength to do anything. The figure didn't stop screaming for a split second either. It just crouched next to me and put its hand on my cheek. I started to burn. I lost consciousness. Other rangers found me passed out on the ground about an hour later, getting me to an ambulance. I was relieved for a minute, but when I got up from the bed, I saw that red burning handprint. It terrified me so much I had to resign. None of my bosses or colleagues ever believed me. I guess I can't say I blame them. I saw what I believe was a Sasquatch about five years ago. I was 16 years of age. I was volunteering as a counselor at a day camp. A friend and I went for a walk on the trails within the camp. We were cleaning trails and we also brought our lunches which we planned to eat later. We were on the outskirts of camp maybe half mile from main camp, very close to the Malala River. I was about 60 feet from a muddy creek, kind of a swampy area. I remember sitting down to eat lunch and my friend realized that he had left something back at camp that he needed. I can't remember what he went to get, maybe a tool or something to drink. So he left and I remained seated on a log waiting for him to come back. I expected the jog to take maybe 10 minutes. 
He had been gone for at least seven minutes when I heard something in the woods to my left. I stood up to get a better look at what it was. What I observed was a massive hairy man-like animal standing next to a large tree, I think it was a cedar. It was about 50 feet away. I estimate that it was about 8 feet tall. I stood about 5 feet 9 inches at that time and it was far taller than me. It was also very wide and bulky looking. The fur was thick and fairly long, maybe 6 inches, and medium brown in color. It looked directly at me for a few seconds. We had solid eye contact. It had dark colored eyes. It seemed to be shocked or surprised and was deciding what to do. It stepped to its right, my left, behind the large tree and immediately began to run away. I could not see it run away because the tree blocked my view, but I definitely heard it. It sounded very heavy, the footsteps could be heard clearly. It was snapping down branches as it ran, creating a lot of noise. It sounded very powerful. I listened to it run away for maybe 10 seconds and then I turned around and ran back on the trail towards camp. I met up with my friend on his way back to meet me. I've always been an avid mushroom picker, roaming the woodlands of southeast Poland in search of edible treasures hidden among the undergrowth. One autumn day, I set out on my usual mushroom picking expedition, hoping to return home with a bountiful harvest. As I wandered deeper into the forest, I stumbled upon something utterly bizarre, a concrete staircase that seemed to lead to nowhere. It was as if it should have led to a building that wasn't there, or perhaps a very tall plane. Curiosity peaked, I decided to investigate further. As I approached the staircase, I noticed that everything within a 100 meter radius was rotten and dead. The air carried a peculiar, soapy smell that I couldn't quite place. When I stepped closer, the ground beneath my boots gave in and bubbled, as if reacting to my presence. Feeling unnerved, I quickly decided to leave this strange place behind. I hurried back home, washed myself thoroughly, and disposed of my clothes and boots. However, in the days that followed, I developed a nasty cough and a painful rash that seemed to spread across my body. Concerned, I visited the doctor, who ran a series of tests on me. Eventually, he concluded that my symptoms were caused by irritation from a strongly basic substance, similar to lye. The diagnosis left me with more questions than answers. To this day, I still wonder what that mysterious staircase was doing in the middle of the woods. Could it have been the remnants of an old soap factory or warehouse? And if so, why was it located in such a remote and desolate place? Despite my efforts to uncover the truth, the enigma of the concrete staircase remains one of the strangest and most unsettling experiences of my life. My dad worked as a cop in a small town here in Montana. Nothing really out of the ordinary, just burglars and kids playing pranks, domestic violence stuff. Yeah, that was ordinary for him. As my siblings and I grew older, we learned some pretty unnerving stuff about people and our neighbors. Some people are just evil, no justification is necessary. My father is a very no-nonsense kind of man. He's also an atheist and very skeptical about things like the paranormal, 
especially considering most of the crap he's had to deal with involved real-life humans or animals. But there is one situation he never got cleared up. There are lots of abandoned houses where we grew up. My town definitely saw better times in the past. There were some pretty elegant buildings left to decay. Kids would play there, urban exploration, and there were a few emergencies concerning drug dealers and gangs. Mostly calls from scared neighbors or people who saw weird stuff. One night, and my father is sent with a partner towards an abandoned place because a kid and an elderly woman saw a witch man dancing to a fire in the backyard, apparently. He thought it was either a druggie or some sort of gang activity. It had to go. The worst is that they can only find it would be local kids lighting up a bonfire, and they'd have to stop them and make them toss out the fire before things got out of control. So, they met a bunch of neighbors complaining about the noise and lights, and everybody kept talking about the witch man. My father's companion says he saw somebody moving on the floor above, so they got to the house, announced themselves, and just get inside because naturally, nobody answered. Once inside, they say the prank was successful and fun but that it's time to stop. The neighbors have had enough. They start to register the place, a room for room, and they only see old stuff but really nothing of value. It must have been stolen. Same for the second floor, but there, and my father begins feeling tense, and so does his partner, like they were being watched. But they saw nobody, and it's not like there were many places left to hide really. In the end, both my father and his partner saw something shiny outside, orange light of fire. But when they looked at the window, they saw nobody there. They talked to the police station via the radio, hearing more complaints about the noise but nothing else. Both walk around the garden and saw nothing, and that's what they told the worried neighbors. It was not until they reached the station that they saw the people they were giving them odd looks. A lady from admin later showed them an audio recording. In it, you could hear my father and his colleague describing what he saw on the neighbor's complaints, yelling noises in the background from an angry man with a very deep raspy voice. The noises were slushed and weird, but it said something like get out, this is my place. They received a few more emergency calls, nobody ever found anything really relevant. To this day, my father, who I repeat is still a firm non-believer, still feels rather creeped out when he remembers that event. I live in Australia and as a teenager of about 13 or 14. Being a person from underprivileged and mostly neglected background and my escape at time was to disappear into the bush on my own. Very often for a few days at a time. I was in an area that was off-limits to people as it formed part of a very large water catchment. I had no fear of being out there on my own, and my biggest concern was being caught by a waterboard ranger or running into other people. This was back in the 80s with no mobile phones or GPS available. I had camped out for the night on a hill that I had stayed at many times before, and I knew the lay of the land well. And come the morning I decided to head back to the road that was about 5 kilometers away via a ridgeline. It was very rare to come across other people out here, but this morning, I could hear people talking in the distance in the direction I had to travel. 
I felt that I really needed to avoid these people discovering I was out there in this very isolated place. So I decided to go around them by walking down into a valley, and to follow the bottom of the valley for some distance, and then make my way back uphill to the ridge behind them. I had reached the bottom of the valley and walking along very quietly watching where I stepped not breaking any branches or snapping twigs as the sound would travel a long way. I often would startle wildlife when I walked out in these areas, and was quite used to seeing a kangaroo or wallaby suddenly spring up out of nowhere, and bound up to a safer distance away from me, and that is what I expected from this kangaroo that had just stood up about 15 meters in front of me except it didn't bound away it just looked at me, I was looking back at it I realized this kangaroo was much larger than the ones I would normally come across and he had a number of mates with him maybe 8 or 9 of them all within about 50 meters of me, and they were not going anywhere. They stood up tall, and looked right at me, and were about twice my size and very muscled up. I stood where I was for about 5 minutes with them looking at me, and me looking right back we were at a standoff. I was considering walking through this group but by this stage I had started to get quite intimidated by their total lack of fear of me, and their sheer size. I decided my best option was to back out the way I had come feeling more confident they would just go back to their grazing once I was out of sight so that is what I did. This was a very unsettling experience for me to be intimidated by something I expected would avoid me, but due to the isolation of this place I don't think they had ever come across people before, so they didn't have the fear of man that most others would have. After that I never went back into the catchment area knowing there was a big mob in there and I was more afraid of them than they were of me. It started happening at the end of July over a span of a month or so. My, then 23 months old, daughter sleeps in an office turned nursery connected to my room. It is small in size with one window, and is relatively dark, due to a blackout shade. One can make out most detail once eyes adjust meaning the corners are dark, but not pitch black. I was standing beside her crib as his routine, singing a lullaby and rocking her, she was looking around the room and at me, when suddenly her eyes find the corner to the left of the window. Immediately she gets a big grin and starts to wave. Of course I look in the direction she was waving, but see nothing, decide that it's toddler antics, kiss her and put her to bed. A few days or a week goes by with nothing. Then during nap time one day, same thing, same corner. She's looking around the room, I'm rocking her gently, her eyes fall upon the corner and she starts to smile again and wave. I say, what are you waving at? She doesn't say anything about it. This happened a few more times always at naps or bedtime and always the same corner. Never seemed scared. So I decided it had to do with a shadow or something in that corner, blank wall, but whatever. Well, few days later, same routine, holding her and singing a lullaby, it had happened with enough frequency that I am starting to anticipate, when her eyes fall on a different place in the room, and she starts to smile and wave. I got chill bumps immediately. I asked her what she was waving to, what did she see, and got nothing kissed her and put her down. We left to go out of town the next day for a week. Another dark room, same routine, nothing. No waves, no smiles, normal bedtime. 
When we got back the house, I had put all of it to the back of my mind while unpacking etc. Bedtime, book, start to sing her a lullaby and rock her while she sleepily looks around the room, when suddenly she picks her head up, starts waving happily in the direction of the original corner. This time as she's waving and smiling, she says bye bye. She has not waved since that night. I've always been intrigued by the unexplained, so when I heard about a series of strange sightings on a property just outside Estacada, Oregon, I knew I had to investigate. My name is Rip Little, and I'm a journalist specializing in stories about the unknown and the mysterious. I got in touch with Stuart, a professional fish and game guide who was familiar with the area, to see if he could help me uncover the truth behind these strange occurrences. Stewart agreed to meet with me and share his story. He had been looking for a house to buy about five to six miles out of Estacada, on Porter Road. While visiting a potential property, the owners had casually mentioned that an unknown creature had been seen around the area about five times. Naturally, my curiosity was piqued. As we sat down over coffee, Stewart recounted the stories he had heard from the property owners. They described a tall, bipedal creature with dark fur, walking upright like a human but clearly not one. They said it had a distinctive, pungent odor and emitted unsettling sounds that seemed to reverberate through the forest. Stuart, being an experienced outdoorsman, was initially skeptical of the tales. He had spent countless hours in the wilderness and had never encountered anything remotely like the creature they described. However, he couldn't dismiss the sincerity in their voices, so he decided to look into the matter further. Over the following weeks, Stuart delved into local archives and spoke with longtime residents of the area. He discovered that reports of the creature went back decades, and many people in the community had their own stories to share. Some had seen it from afar, while others had experienced frighteningly close encounters. Despite the varying details, one thing remained consistent the overwhelming sense of fear and unease that accompanied each sighting. As I listened to Stuart's account, I couldn't help but feel a shiver run down my spine. There was something about these stories that struck a chord deep within me, and I knew I had to see the location for myself. Together, Stuart and I ventured out to the property on Porter Road. We explored the surrounding woods, searching for any signs of the elusive creature. Though we didn't catch a glimpse of it that day, the heavy silence and eerie atmosphere of the forest left us both feeling uneasy. The stories of the unknown creature haunted my thoughts, and I couldn't help but wonder if it was truly out there, lurking in the shadows. As I continue to investigate, I can't help but be drawn deeper into the mystery. What could be behind these sightings? Is there a rational explanation, or is there something truly otherworldly at work? I may not have the answers yet but I'm determined to keep searching until I uncover the truth. I was just out for a Sunday stroll in the near woods when I suddenly stood in front of something that looked like a single huge boar with terrifying tusk. Maybe 20 to 30 meters away and as I didn't have my glasses on it was a bit blurry. It was so tall and stood so still that I took it for some kind of fake or overstuffed taxidermy. 
I wondered why someone would place an oversized boar in our forest and walk towards in order to see if there were some hidden cameras or stuff like that. When I was 10 to 12 meters away the boar gave noise and I froze. For me it was surreal because that animal was definitely too big to be a wild boar in a small forest near a bigger town of Central Europe. I have seen big ones up to a shoulder high of nearly 1 meter but that thing was in another league standing 1.6 meters tall. Because it had a little bit high ground we were at eye level. I assumed a very elaborate prank and watched closely for hidden speakers, but was too afraid to move on. I finally found my glasses and put them one giving the prank boar an unsettling depth of detail. Then the boar moved in a way no servo or hidden wires could have done and I came to the slow realization that the giant a few meters away was indeed a hogzilla with tusks like daggers. There was only one time that my heart did the same reaction, and that was when I accidentally shocked myself with 230 VAC. It just stopped for a moment. With the adrenaline finally kicking and I got my heartbeat back and noped out on a firm and steady march frenetically littering everything in my backpack on the ground. I hoped that something would seem more interesting or eatable than me. I was too afraid to look back and walked on until I got to the next road where I stopped the next car. I got into the front passenger seat and told the friendly woman that it stopped for me to please please drive on. She was so kind to bring me to my parked car and the little parking space was full of cars and men. Turned out a prized Carpathian boar named Edgar was on the loose and this was the rescue party because the regional ranger had told the owner that he will shoot him, if he ever saw Edgar in his forest again. I told him where I had encountered Edgar and they got him with a tranquilizer gun while he was eating my lunch. Learned that day how big Carpathian boars can become and that Edgar was a nice guy most of the time and a little bit of a giant Houdini too. But dear God did that boar freak me out. And I cursed a bit that we sold the guns I inherited when we moved to the city. I actually lived in a haunted house for six years before and during high school. Turns out the lady who lived there before us was super weird and probably crazy, talking loudly to herself and claiming to see Indians in the backyard. My parents also found a sketchy circle of candles in the attic when we first moved in. My sister was sensitive to paranormal stuff and was the first to notice anything. She would see two little boys staring at her in her room in the middle of the night and a woman she guessed was their mother. There were apparently other spirits in the house but she saw them the most. She had a lot of shit happen to her. I didn't see anything except for once when I got up late at night to go to the bathroom and there was a purple floating orb in front of my door. I went back to bed and decided I didn't need to pee after all. I would also feel them touch me late at night. I would be playing on the computer with headphones, and sometimes my parents would come in and tap my shoulder to let me know I was going to bed. Only sometimes I'd feel someone grab my shoulder and nothing would be in my room because everyone else was asleep. After a while there started to be scratches on my shoulder and center of my back, where I can't reach. My sister actually reached out to taps from the TV show Ghost Hunters and they came out to investigate. That was super cool. It was a Friday, June 9th. When my daughter Diane and I joined my father Dan for some wood cutting on road 4661, 
southeast of Estacada, Oregon. The day started just like any other, with my father focused on his task and Diane and I working nearby. It was around 4 p.m. when Diane suddenly turned to me, her nose wrinkled in disgust. Do you smell that? She asked. I took a deep breath and was immediately hit by a potent, unpleasant odor. It was like a foul cloud that had passed through the area, lingering for just a few seconds before disappearing with the wind. I glanced at my father, who was about 50 feet away, but he didn't seem to notice anything. The smell reminded me of something I had heard about from Henry Franzoni and Pam Barrett near Skookum Lake. They had reported a similar odor when they believed they might have been near a Bigfoot. Diane and I exchanged glances, but we didn't see anything unusual. With no further evidence, we eventually dismissed the incident and continued with our work. However, little did we know that the strange encounter was far from over. Later that night, around 1 a.m., the foul smell returned, even stronger than before. It was nauseating, like something dead or manure. Diane and I woke up to the sound of fur needles falling on the truck, but our dogs didn't react at all. They remained still, as if they were unaware of the overpowering stench that filled the air. We were 18 miles away from Ripplebrook Ranger Station and 32 miles from Detroit, Oregon. It was unlikely that the smell was coming from any human activity or farm animals. We couldn't shake off the feeling that we might have experienced a close encounter with a Bigfoot, even if we hadn't seen anything. The next day, Diane and I shared our story with my father, who seemed skeptical but intrigued by the possibility. We couldn't help but wonder if we had stumbled upon one of the most elusive creatures in the Pacific Northwest. Although we never saw any physical evidence of a Bigfoot that day, the mysterious odor and the feeling of being watched remained etched in our minds. It became a story we would share with friends and family, a testament to the unexplained mysteries that can be found in the dense forests of Oregon. As the years passed, Diane and I continued to explore the woods, always keeping an eye out for any sign of the elusive creature. And every time we caught a whiff of that unforgettable stench, we were reminded of that fateful day when we might have been closer to a Bigfoot than we ever thought possible. I'm an environmental field tech. I always find interesting things in the woods. Mostly abandoned places, trash, cars, and animal bones. One time I was on a job in Texas. We were deep in the woods, following our GPS. My team lead and I found piles and piles of beer cans. Almost little hills. We were almost tempted to start collecting them for cash but it would have taken all day and a full team. That wasn't the weird part though. As we moved past the beer can hills. We found a few little abandoned homemade shacks with wire fencing surrounding them. And the largest amount of dog kennels I've ever seen. Some of them wood, some of them metal crates. Some stacked on top of each other. There was blood stains on a few of the wooden ones, which made me sick to my stomach. We didn't find any carcasses or any live animals. It was very obvious that this was not a normal kennel or backyard breeder. As an animal lover in my previous job was working at a dog kennel. It gave me a horrible feeling. But apparently that's tame for what people find in my line of work. I've heard stories of people finding meth labs, 
traps to poppy fields, and even dead bodies in the marshes and wetlands that we survey. This happened nearly two years ago. I live Oklahoma, and I'm sure most of you have heard of the Bever family murders that took place in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma a few years ago. I would link a news article about it, but I'm too scared to even do that. Fall of 2016 was my first semester of college. I was an hour and a half away at college, and decided to come home for the weekend to see my ex and one of my friends. We loved going into abandoned places, and somehow the Bever house was brought up. It was definitely still talked about because it was so horrible. My friend knew where the house was, so we decided to drive by it. At this point, we had no intention of going in it. This was my second time ever seeing the house. We arrived and I parked my car at the end of the street. I had my camera with me, and I recorded the entire thing. First we went up to the house to just look in the windows. What really freaked me out was that the blinds were drawn and you could see into every room. There was a ceiling fan on in the kitchen, and a light on in one of the back bedrooms on the first floor. It got worse. We then noticed the floors were ripped up, the cabinets in the kitchen ripped out, and there were a ton of cutouts in the walls. Why? All of the blood. My ex decided to wiggle a door knob on a door that lead into the garage, and for some reason it was unlocked. All of the other doors to the house were locked and had those locked boxes on them like the house was for sale or something. So it was super weird that the door was just unlocked. When he opened it, he walked into the garage and went straight to the door to the house that lead into the kitchen. It was also unlocked. Like I said, I recorded the entire thing. I don't have it saved on my computer, but I did upload it to a YouTube channel and it's unlisted so that way I can send the link to people who are curious. If anyone would like that, just let me know. Once we got into the house, I felt very odd. It was so dark and heavy in there, for obvious reasons. We made our way through the kitchen and living room and eventually up the stairs. Along the way getting even more creeped out because of all of the little cutouts in the walls from the blood. Once we got upstairs, we noticed a door that was locked, but the light was on in the room. We were not able to open it. We eventually left, and then like the smart people we are, got two more friends with us and went back for a second time. The two people who came with us the second time were too scared to go in, so they waited in the driveway. That means that they were not able to see the door we entered or the kitchen at all because of the way the garage is placed. It protrudes from the house. The second time we went in, we just stayed in the kitchen, and my ex was talking out loud to the spirits. We heard footsteps upstairs. I caught a high-pitched scream in the video, and like I said, I'll link it if anyone wants. As soon as we walked out, the two friends in the driveway asked how it was and asked my friend that went in with me why she didn't respond to their text. She pulls out her phone and they had texted and asked if we were upstairs. Why? Because they saw someone standing in an upstairs window. Keep in mind, we only stayed in the kitchen. We sprinted to my car. The next day, I felt so weird. Long story short, I went to this spiritual bookstore and talked to the owner and he saged us. It was absolutely horrifying. One of my friends did not get saged, 
And she called us later that night and told us she was driving to the Bever house and didn't know why. Something was definitely attached to us. It was a chilly day in May when my two friends and I decided to embark on a camping trip at Skookum Lake, located in the Cascades about 20 air miles southeast of Estacada, Oregon. We were looking forward to catching crawfish and enjoying the solitude of the remote location. The snow had made the roads almost impassable, but our four-wheel drive managed to get us through to our campsite. After setting up camp, we spent the day fishing and exploring the area. As night fell, we huddled around the campfire, swapping stories and enjoying each other's company. The peaceful silence of the wilderness was a welcome break from our daily lives. However, in the early hours of Monday, May 22, 1995, that peace was shattered. I began to hear the unmistakable sound of branches breaking in the distance. My curiosity peaked, I grabbed my powerful flashlight and shined it toward the source of the noise. About 150 feet away, I saw something I never expected to encounter, a Bigfoot. The creature was about 7 feet tall, with glowing yellow eyes in the light. Its fur was black, but its head and shoulders were a much lighter color. The creature appeared to be sidestepping down a slope, and as I watched in awe, it froze in place. For 45 minutes, the Bigfoot stood there, not moving, even when I called my buddies over to witness the sight. They were just as astonished as I was, and we could hardly believe what we were seeing. Two days later, I returned to the area with plaster, hoping to find any evidence of the creature's presence. I discovered a partial track knot in the snow, measuring 21 inches in length. The large toe was clearly visible, and I carefully made a cast of the print. While searching the area, I also found two hand-sized droppings wrapped in a silky membrane. It appeared to be some sort of mold, and I collected the samples for further examination. Upon returning to our campsite, I noticed a large finger or toe print on my dark green 1977 Ford, right next to a small dent. I decided to lift the print using tape and flour, but not before asking a friend to take a close-up photograph of the evidence. With the track, droppings, and the print on my truck, I plan to bring everything to the local bookshop for examination. I hope that these findings would help shed light on the elusive creature that had captivated our imaginations and left us with an unforgettable experience. I had a tenant living in basement, but he got into a car accident about three minutes walking from the house and passed away at the scene. At first I didn't know about this, but one night, I think it was no more than three days after the accident, the lights in our house were all flickered for exactly three times in a minute. But that's not all, I went to the bathroom later after my mom, the door wasn't locked. But as I was pushing the door, I felt a strong force behind the door pushing against me. At first I thought I hallucinated, but I tried for the second time and the door just didn't move. I pushed it really hard but it still didn't move. I think I even heard a chuckle, then I started talking with my mind saying whoever you are, we didn't do anything wrong, why are you messing with me, this is not funny. Then that force went away. After that I went on the internet, typed in his name then found out the accident. That was the only time the door jammed. 
In the 80s I was with two friends hiking in the Okefenokee Forest in Florida, basically a huge swamp with alligators, banana spiders, raccoons and miles of black mud and creeks and trees. The biggest spider webs I've ever seen everywhere with these huge yellow spiders, nearly walked into one. We were all tripping on acid when we found a long black wooden platform built in the middle of nowhere. It had weird symbols painted in white all over it. We stood on it looking around when about 50 raccoons silently walked out of the woods towards us, their little hands digging in the mud for food. They were not afraid of us, it was like that scene in Young Guns when they take mescaline and the Indians let them pass because they were in the spirit world. The raccoons surrounded up and passed by and under the platform. When they were gone we were like did you see that? I walked to the end of the platform and looked down. The symbols came together in perspective like an optical illusion to form the head of Baphomet. We decided to leave and go to the beach instead of waiting around to get sacrificed to the goat god. Two years ago, back in high school, my friends and I would go ghost hunting. Whenever we were bored and wanted to be out late, we'd drive around and try and scare ourselves with urban legends and creepy places. We never really found anything substantial, but we had a habit of driving along this old, two-lane road, Riverdale, where most of the ghost stories in our city stemmed. The road is long, narrow, and curvy, it stretches for about 20 miles north and south. Four of us were in the car that night, and as usual we managed to get a pretty good paranoia vibe going. We had never driven all the way south until the road ran out before, and we decided to do that then head home. It was almost one in the morning by the time we reached the end, and when we had turned around and began driving back, my friend driving, Vi, adjusted her rear view mirror and said, I think this car is following us. I thought she was just being paranoid and told her so, and that since the road was one lane either way they might just be going the same direction we were. She was convinced though, saying that the car was staying just far enough back that if she hadn't been paying attention she never would have noticed. We kept driving north, passing main exits, and the car stayed back far enough to see us but not extremely close. We turned east on a main road that was still several streets away from where I lived but eventually would lead there. Vi was still convinced the car was tailing us, and debated pulling into a Walmart parking lot, but I advised against it because it was so late and there were only a few cars there. By now the rest of us were starting to get worried too, and Vi hooked a left and went south on a little used cross street that wasn't even paved. The car behind us, which we think was a dark blue Ford Ranger, followed us down this as well. Since we were doubling back on the way we came, we were all convinced she was right. We kept encouraging her to speed up, to try and evade them somehow, but we were the only two cars on the road. At the next major intersection she hooked a right without signaling or being in the turn lane, but the car's headlights stayed behind us. We drove to the next intersection, going right and heading north, worried and unsure of what to do. We didn't want to call the police because we knew this car really hadn't done anything yet and our state had a curfew for people under 18. We knew we weren't going to drive to anyone's house though, and in a split-second decision we turned into a neighborhood, thinking that maybe whomever was in the car was just trying to scare some kids, and would leave once they assumed we went to our homes. To our relief, 
the car turned left, into an opposite neighborhood, and we all relaxed. Then, my friend in the backseat turned around, and noticed the car had flipped a U-turn and was waiting for us to turn the corner. They had turned their lights off. At this point the street curved and we lost sight of them. Vi sped up and, having watched drive like a week before, we turned into a cul-de-sac, parked in between two cars, and turned off the car. We sat in darkness and debated whether or not to call the police. We decided we should, and as I went to dial 911 we realized we had absolutely no idea what street we were on or what neighborhood we were in. After 10 minutes of doing nothing, we got up the courage to leave and try and drive to the nearest main road, where we wouldn't be blocked in or maybe there would be other cars. As we went to turn onto the street, the ranger turned the corner and stopped as we did. They had been waiting for us. Vi floored it, hoping to get pulled over or something, and we went 80 going out of there. We managed to head west on a main road and soon, when we had driven for minutes, speeding, we saw other cars and people. I don't know if that car followed us out of the neighborhood or not, or what the person or people inside planned to do. But they were willing to follow us to what could have been our houses, and I'm sure that if Vi had never noticed them then they would know where we lived. I've never seen that car again, but I'm always a little paranoid when I drive late at night by myself. Ever since I started studying the Bigfoot phenomenon four years ago, I've been fascinated by the countless theories and stories surrounding this elusive creature. One such theory that caught my attention was that Bigfoot was said to eat skunk cabbage, Lichitum americanum. In my fieldwork near Malala and Estacada, I examined several skunk cabbages, hoping to find some evidence that would support this theory. However, all I found were signs of insect consumption, nothing that would suggest Bigfoot or any other large animal had been feeding on the plants. Despite this setback, I remained determined to find evidence that could shed light on the eating habits of Bigfoot. Recently, my efforts seemed to have paid off when Frank Coniaster, the director of Bigfoot headquarters in Colton, Oregon, mailed me several photos that offered promising evidence. The photos, taken on June 14, 1995, near Malala, showed skunk cabbage leaf stalks that had been freshly broken off at the base and arranged across small six-inch logs, as if to be dried. Although the photos were dark, they were enough to rekindle my excitement about the possibility that Bigfoot might indeed be utilizing skunk cabbages as a food source. I couldn't help but wonder what other secrets these enigmatic creatures might be hiding and how much more there was to learn about them. With renewed enthusiasm, I decided to venture back into the field near Malala and Estacada to further investigate this intriguing development. As I carefully examined the area where the skunk cabbage stalks had been found, I realized that something had indeed been using these plants, but whether it was Bigfoot or some other animal, I couldn't be certain. However, the discovery of the broken and arranged skunk cabbage stalks had provided me with a new clue in my ongoing quest to unravel the mysteries surrounding Bigfoot. I was more determined than ever to continue my research and, hopefully, one day, find the definitive evidence that would prove the existence of these elusive creatures. As I walked through the dense forest, 
I couldn't help but feel a sense of awe and wonder at the thought that I might be sharing this space with a creature that had managed to elude human detection for centuries. It was a humbling reminder of how much we still have to learn about the natural world and the incredible mysteries that lie hidden within it. And as I continued my search, I knew that I was one step closer to uncovering the truth about Bigfoot and the enigmatic skunk-cabbage connection. Growing up, I had always been a curious and imaginative child. I was about six or seven years old at the time, and like most kids, I would occasionally wake up in the middle of the night feeling scared or uneasy. This particular night was no different. I found myself wide awake, the darkness of my room feeling heavier than usual. Seeking comfort, I decided to head to my parents' room. Their door was shut, and for reasons I couldn't explain, I didn't dare open it. Instead, I sat down in the hallway on my beloved Garfield pillow, feeling a strange sense of unease in the dimly lit corridor. As I sat there, trying to make sense of my sudden fear, I saw something that sent chills down my spine. A figure emerged from the darkness, walking into the middle of the hallway. It was black darker than anything I had ever seen, as if it were made of an impossibly deep abyss. The figure was mostly humanoid, but its head was elongated, resembling the bird-like plague masks from centuries past. Frozen in terror, I watched as the figure stopped in the middle of the hall, and then, to my utter horror, turned to look directly at me. Its eyes were large, a haunting greenish-yellow color that seemed to pierce my very soul. The world around us seemed to stand still, the air thick with an almost tangible sense of dread. And then, just as suddenly as it had appeared, the figure was gone. The darkness of the hallway swallowed it whole, leaving me alone and trembling with fear. I bolted back to my bed and hid under the covers, hoping that whatever that thing was, it wouldn't return. To this day, I can still vividly recall the chilling encounter, the image of those haunting eyes forever etched in my memory. I don't know what it was that I saw that night, but it remains one of the most terrifying experiences of my life. Not me but my father experienced it. It was last summer in the evening and we lice pretty secluded. He came back later that evening and told me that he saw S-5-6 light balls flying in formation near his location, away from him. While doing so they changed their formation regularly and even though he couldn't estimate how fast they really were, at least from his view they started out slow and accelerated a lot till he lost sight. He asked me if this could have been some natural occurrence, because he said he never saw STH like that before. My X-Files trained brain screamed UFOs, after I told my father that with a smirk grin in my face, he made me promise not to tell anybody about this, to prevent his buddies making fun of him. Man, I'm so jealous that he got to see it and not me. My husband has always been an avid outdoorsman and loves to swap stories with his friends about their adventures in the wild. I remember one evening when we were sitting by the fire, and he shared a chilling tale that had been passed down to him by a close friend. As a pregnant woman with a foggy memory, I'll try my best to recount the story as it was told to me. His friend, let's call him Mark, 
had been an experienced hunter and was no stranger to spending nights alone in the wilderness. One autumn day, he ventured deep into the woods, hoping to bag a deer from his tree stand, a hideout spot nestled high up in the branches. As the sun began to set, Mark settled into his tree stand, waiting patiently for his prey. But as night fell, an eerie stillness settled over the forest, broken only by the occasional rustle of leaves. It wasn't long before Mark realized that he wasn't alone. From the darkness, he could hear strange noises, unlike anything he had ever encountered in his years of hunting. The sounds were guttural and menacing, sending a shiver down his spine. Paralyzed with fear, Mark could only sit there, praying that whatever was stalking him would lose interest and move on. But the creature, whatever it was, didn't leave. Instead, it stayed throughout the entire night, its chilling presence a constant source of terror for Mark. The once brave hunter was reduced to a quivering mess, his mind racing with thoughts of what might happen if the creature decided to strike. Finally, morning arrived, and with it, a renewed sense of courage. Seizing the opportunity, Mark climbed down from his tree stand and sprinted back to his car, not daring to look back. He never did find out what had stalked him that night, but the experience left a lasting impression on him. As my husband finished recounting the story, I couldn't help but feel a chill run down my spine. I knew that the woods held many mysteries and unknown dangers, but this tale was a stark reminder that sometimes, the most terrifying encounters are those that we cannot explain. I was hunting on my uncle's property in southern Kentucky, near Daniel Boone NF, in the summer of 2011. He also had a good-sized pond down in the very woodsy part of his 60 acres and I set up some fishing poles at night rigged to land some catfish. It was about a 20-minute walk from camp to the pond and it was a pitch-black night, also very quiet. I specifically noticed a lack of critter noise including insects. I walked down through the field and reached the pond which sat up against miles of forest. My only light was my headlamp. As I was reeling in one of the poles, I must have spooked something and heard an enormous splash and something let out a massive wailing slash grunting noise and crashed through the forest, it was seriously so loud that it rattled my chest. I dropped the pole and hauled ass back to my camp, full on fight or flight mode. When I told my uncle about it, he looked petrified and talked about how he is convinced a Sasquatch lives on his land due to similar occurrences he has had. All I know is that it scared me so badly to the point that I haven't been back. I've backpacked and hunted all over, I've never experienced anything like those noises. Almost a year ago, I was an opener at a resort, clocking in before 5 am each day. The resort is located inside of an affluent neighborhood, in a very wealthy town suburb. Employees had to park in one of two parking lots at either ends of the property, and the lot I chose was adjacent to a long and windy road outside the resort which lead to the rest of the neighborhood. The road and resort were separated by a short range of brush and trees that no one ever walked through. I'd arrived one morning per usual and put the car into park with my headlights still on. The lights in the lot weren't ever on in the morning since no one else really showed up before 6am when the sun was out, so it was usually always dark at the start of my walk. 
Save for security, I was one of the first employees to arrive on the property each morning and was usually completely alone in this particular parking lot at this time. This morning didn't seem any different. I had my hand literally at my keys, my brain in the process to turn off my car, when I noticed a young girl, maybe like 14 or 15 years old, come scampering, her body language was the exact definition. Run with quick light steps, especially through fear or excitement. Through the span of trees that separates the resort from the outside road. She was directly in front of my car, and my headlights illuminated a clear view of her in the pitch black. She looked like she was in high school, had long, blonde hair, and was wearing a jacket with pajamas maybe, like she'd just walked out of a house. One thing about her that bothered me was that she wouldn't stop laughing and smiling. I couldn't hear her laughing from outside the car, but she was visually giggling at something I wasn't aware of or could see, and it was so unnatural. She occasionally glanced behind her as if someone else were there waiting away from the headlights. She then waved at me like it were a normal gesture at this time and then immediately ran to my passenger side door. This all happened in a matter of seconds, and I wasn't really sure what was even happening besides my anxiety spiking. I know I simultaneously yanked the O from my phone to shut whatever song had been playing off while grabbing for the lock button. I remember feeling panic for never remembering if it's up or down to lock when the girl began pulling violently and incessantly on the door handle on the passenger's side. I realized because I didn't turn my car off, it had stayed locked. She began pounding on the window, and I was screaming at the top of my lungs for her to leave before pressing on my horn. I could see her laughing outside like this were some type of game, as if I were a silly friend not letting her in as a joke. After a few seconds, she stopped the pounding and trying to open my car door. Her face fell flat like I disappointed her, and she started to walk away from my car back the way she came. She waved at me again before squeezing through the trees, out of the view of my headlights. This whole encounter confused me almost as much as it scared me. Most people I told the story to just chalked it up to her being on drugs, but that narrative hasn't felt right to me despite her behavior. Maybe she was just being an extremely out of touch teenager whose parents need a firmer grip on her. My first thought was possibly human trafficking, but I'm not sure if that would fit this scenario as I'm not the most well versed with the subject. I told someone when I made it to LP, but they didn't seem to care much. I didn't call the police, and I regret that. I'll never get out of my brain though how messed off the feeling was watching a stranger, seemingly alone, pop out from the trees in the darkness laughing and then try to violently enter your car in an empty parking lot. I do think the possibility of someone else being present the whole time is a lot more scary, and I wonder who else was there and where exactly. The first encounter happened back when I was in 8th or 9th grade, can't remember exactly. I was friends with a bunch of guys and girls who were a year ahead of me, all of which I had met through my best friend Tom. Well, our little circle of friends went out for a night of bowling. The group consisted of myself, Tom, Jeremy, Beth, and Beth's friend Ashley. Beth had just broken up with her boyfriend, Corey. Corey was a real piece of work, extremely arrogant, pushy, possessive, and controlling. 
This was only my second time meeting Beth and Ashley and I was unaware of the breakup or even of Corey's existence. We had our fun bowling and wandered out to the picnic tables surrounding the bowling alley and adjacent go-kart track, by which time it's getting rather late. All of the sudden Beth and Ashley start getting texts and phone calls from their friends and Beth becomes visibly shaken. The two of them promptly, and with little explanation, run off to another section of the property. Tom, Jeremy, and I are confused as hell. We get clued in, by texts, that Corey has gone full on, hardcore stalker mode and basically interrogated a bunch of his and Beth's mutual friends in order to figure out where she was and he was on his way here now. No sooner than we had figured that out when we see him and his posse or entourage stroll into the picnic area. They spot the three of us chilling at our table and Corey apparently tells his guys to stay where they are before walking very pointedly towards us. Completely unannounced, he leans over onto our table, putting his face level with, and uncomfortably close to, ours. So, where's Beth? Now I had never met the guy, but he was already giving me really bad vibes. Both Jeremy and Tom already despised him from previous encounters with the guy. As such, we had all made the unspoken agreement to cover for Beth. We don't know, Jeremy and Tom replied, just shrugging and trying to brush the question off with their best poker faces. Corey just stares us each down in turn, unblinking, clearly trying to intimidate us. We stare right back. Oh yeah? He asks. Well I know she's here. And that's when he said the words I'll never forget, the same statement that made every stalker alert and warning bell go off in my head simultaneously, she hasn't been answering my calls. But it's okay, because now I've got a new truck, so that means when she doesn't answer my calls, I can come find her. His voice was intense. He was completely, 100% serious and stared me dead in the eye as he said it. As soon as he made that little proclamation, the atmosphere at the table went from tense to about one step short of a full-scale brawl. My legs were under the table, so I slowly edged them out to the side and clenched my fists, ready to go to blows with this creeper if I had to. There was a little more small talk with threatening undertones, from both sides, that I don't remember much of, before Corey finally relented. He went back to regroup with his posse. He stuck around, though, and it started to seem like he might be working up the courage to start something. However, we made it clear that we wouldn't be backing down and Jeremy started spreading the word, very obviously, that I was armed, I wasn't, based on a joking comment I'd made earlier in the night. It seemed to do the trick. Luckily, Beth emerged from hiding and finally talked Corey down. He promptly went from threatening to sort of creepy friendly. Tried to show off his new truck to us and make small talk. Beth and Ashley peeled out of there pretty quick like, understandably, afterward. The night proceeded without incident. Fast forward about four years. Corey and Beth had more drama as time went by, with him sending threatening and harassing texts, spreading lies to damage her reputation, etc. At one point they actually got back together, Tom and I made our disapproval abundantly clear to Beth, but that didn't last long before the two broke up again. One day, Tom and I are at Jeremy's house, where he and his girlfriend, Tara, are in contact with Beth, who's working her shift at a large, 
local sporting goods store. Tara, after some texts and a phone call, puts her phone down and has this really concerned look. We ask her what's up and she tells us all that Corey is at Beth's workplace. At first he just kinda wandered around the aisles, staring at her. But then he actually took one of the hunting knives on stock out of its case and began brandishing slash toying with it as he stared at her, roaming around the store as he did so. Tom heard this and immediately began to march downstairs to his truck, with me following right behind him. He was absolutely pissed. Keep in mind that Tom's a pretty big guy, very athletic with a potentially nasty temper. He had done some MMA training in the past. To top it all off, He's an active duty infantryman and army ranger. He was on leave from training when this was cluster F was going down. Now consider the fact that he had an AR-15, with ammunition, in his truck. Not a good situation for anyone involved, least of all the stalker. Of course I was really pumped up too, but at the same time I didn't want to see my friend go off half-cocked and end up in jail or worse. Jeremy and Tara talked us both down and I was about to call the police when Beth contacted us, saying she was all clear. She had talked to her manager about the situation and Corey had ended up finally leaving, while the manager walked Beth to her car in the parking lot, the stalker's truck was out there, waiting for her. I talked with Beth extensively after the incident, advising her that I had connections with the police department and all of the local judges, which is true. She already had plenty of grounds on which to file for a protective order, if not stalking slash harassment charges. Alas, she decided to let the matter drop and luckily the guy hasn't shown his face again. Still, I wouldn't be surprised if he tries something else in the future.